0: You're listening to the Plain Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Simon Walters. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 33 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings, and not with me this week uh, in the kitchen studio. He's uh, out on location, uh, getting ready for David Harris's um joining of him with for the weekend for some uh, museum visits uh simon's not going to be with us for this episode but i have again this week uh, got a very special guest on board uh to uh, host the show with me for this week so i'd like to welcome on to the podcast uh i think it's your second time Pip, is it uh
1: correct it's uh yeah my second time lucky enough to be on hi how
0: are you i'm fine pip so as you guys should you should all know by now that pip uh, produces the plane safety podcast uh, which you can get via itunes so how's that going Pip?
1: pretty well pretty well i'm um, a little bit behind as usual when i started this thing i i wanted to make it a weekly thing and that became obvious pretty quickly that that wasn't going to happen and i thought well you know maybe every two weeks but uh, it's looking like it's going to be a monthly thing so um i hopefully should have next episode out well, I don't know. But hopefully, at the end of next week. But uh, we'll see how that goes.
0: Excellent. I look forward to that, Pip. I'll, perhaps I'll download that one for uh, when, we, when we fly out next Sunday. That'll go, give me something to listen to on the plane.
1: Ah, you're going to Oman, right? Yes,
0: yes. Back to Oman uh, next Sunday, just for a week, uh, just to wow, see from it's a friends. It's bit different, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's a brilliant country. We were out there in January. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, our friends invited us back. So we're just going to go back for a week and see them and, uh, and uh, enjoy ourselves and sort of relax for a week. Um, Ooh, but looking you. forward to the 380 flight again.
1: <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I'm I jealous. Know.
0: With Emirates. So we've got, uh, we got the 380 first and we've got a short um, hop from Dubai to Oman on um, an Emirates 330. So that should be good. So yeah. um, we're going to kick off the show then, as we always do, uh, with our rundown of some weekly news from around the UK and from around the world. So if you're ready, Pip. I certainly am. Let's right, go. Let's go so kicking off then you enjoyed a jingle there pip well i done. do like that one that was <laughs> in my head the other day Get it oh, brilliant. So the uh, first news story then kicking us off this week is from the Telegraph travel site and uh, some quite sad news, actually. Uh, I'm
1: very disturbed by this, Carlos, <laughs> I must tell you. Very disturbed.
0: So for those of you who uh, who fly Ryanair frequently uh, will know that Ryanair produce a calendar each year and the uh, focus of the calendar is the cabin crew and they're generally uh, dressed in, uh, well, in, in bikinis, and uh, they produce this, and the money made does go to charity, um, but uh, due to uh, Ryanair revamping uh, their whole uh, idea and thesis on things and how they run their business more as a more of a family-orientated kind of thing, they are going to do away with the calendar. So Ryanair will not be publishing uh, the calendar of Cabin Crew Bikinis for 2015, Michael O'Leary has announced. The budget carrier's chief executive told today uh, that he plans to scrap the annual calendars which raise money for charity. Um, Last year they donated the, uh, the money to the Teenage Cancer Trust. The calendar first uh, came into circulation in 2008 and, uh, as we said, features women in skimpy bikinis with one even posing in the cockpit. <laughs> and the calendars, uh, according to Mr O'Leary, were initially an idea uh, brought up or thought up by uh, members of staff. So, Pip, there we go. End of an era.
1: No it's, more calendars. Uh, uh, I'm mortified. I, you know, <laughs> I can't tell you. This is it's terrible. I'm not a... I'm not a huge Ryanair fan as you probably would guess but yeah. uh, this is one of their uh few redeeming features of their annual calendar so it'll be sorely missed. I've uh, just while we, you were reading the story there I've called it up on Google images and uh yeah it's quite something to look at I must say. <laughs> just uh, checking out Miss May at the moment.
0: Okay. So,
1: uh, yeah. I'll have to find to August.
0: <laughs> So, yeah, so that that will be uh, no calendar. So you'll have to, uh, for those of you listening who have got 2014's calendar, keep that one and put that in the loft or uh, in storage. It uh, may be worth some money in, uh, in the future. So not a fan of Ryanair then, uh, Pip?
1: Well, you know, I haven't uh, – I don't use them much. Uh, I no. don't have much school to use them. But, um, yeah, you know, um, if I'd given the option, I, I probably wouldn't uh, – wouldn't use them for personal reasons. I've used them once or twice, or workers sent me on them rather once or twice. Uh, and do you know what? Yeah, it wasn't too bad at all, to be <laughs> honest. You know, everyone likes to have a dig at Ryanair, but, uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. They provide a, a service and you don't pay much for it and they don't make any secrets of, uh, you know, of what they provide. They get you from A to B and that's that's all they promise. So you don't fancy uh, producing a calendar then for SafeJet, Pip? Good Lord, there's a thought. <laughs> do you know what? I I don't think you'd want to see that particular calendar. <laughs> I don't think we've quite got the uh, the uh, the manpower to pull that one off. <laughs>
0: or the do cabin you know
1: crew. I I, do, I I don't did. I
0: don't think you said before Pip. I don't think you do you have a. You don't have a cabin. Well, we uh, do. Attendant? Yeah, we you have.
1: Um, yeah, we have. We have cabin crew. Um, actually, they're lovely as well. Um, I wouldn't presume to think they wouldn't want to do a, a calendar, and they, I'm sure they're all. Uh, more than able to to uh, look good on a calendar, but to, no, I wouldn't suggest it to them. Oh well,
0: well, we we'll, so, have... well,
1: you know, I could maybe I'd uh, put an, an anonymous mo- note into um, into management and <laughs> and say, hey, what about this? I don't think it would go down too well. That'd be good... but actually, genuinely, I thought this was a nice thing from Ryanair. Like you said, they they raise money for for some good causes, um, so it'd be a shame to see it go. It just shows the you know the lighter side of Ryanair. It's
0: That'd be a good prize for your um, podcast, Pip. You could give it away as a, uh, a prize. A pilot Pip calendar. Yes. <laughs> a safe Get the jet old calendar. out. Yeah. <laughs> right. So moving on from that story, then uh, next story uh, from the uh, Telegraph site. This one is uh, regarding EasyJet, and uh, they're seeing a surge uh, of, uh, of flights from um, the fallout from the Air France strikes and, uh, EasyJet PLC have said uh, full-year profit rose at least 20% as Europe's second biggest discount carrier targeted corporate traffic and saw traffic surge following strikes at network rival Air France KLM Group. The Luton-based airline rose the most in two and a half months after saying pre-tax profit for the 12 months to September the 30th was between £575 million and £580 million, up from £478 million a year earlier. So has this uh, affected you at all, Pip, when you're flying the, um, the sort of strikes or anything like that? It, uh, I don't suppose it would affect you at all going in and out of the um, European airports?
1: Not so much the, the Air France strikes, but certainly when the French air traffic controllers go on strike, which seems to be a monthly event, these days. Um that yeah, that that has a knock-on effect for everyone. Um even, you know, just over flying France, if if their uh ATC chaps are on strike, it's um it can cause real delays and a, a lot of aggro for everyone. Um yeah, it can be a
0: nuisance. So EasyJet has uh, intensified a push to lure business travellers offering allocated seats, flexible tickets, fast tracking and higher frequencies on key routes. Uh, the move has sharpened competition with full-service carriers, including Air France and Deutsche Lufthansa AG, where strikes over plans to cut short haul costs are pushing passengers in its direction. This is something Ryanair has actually started doing as well, Pip. Um, I'm sure you've probably followed as well. Ryanair offering a, a business-style uh, ticket to passengers. Um, and it, as we say, EasyJet are doing the same now. Um, whether it's a good thing, I'm not sure. Um I suppose uh for someone who wants more legroom, um it's a good idea, but uh, I don't I don't quite see how they can class a, a, a more legroom seat as a as a business class style seat, but Ryanair do and um, EasyJet do. Do
1: they mm, Well, there's only let me think, there's probably only half a dozen or maybe eight seats on the whole aircraft that, mm. that have extra legroom. You know, it's the 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 uh, emergency exit seats and the the six seats at the front. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, and they and they of course charge a little extra for that usually. I think um, you get no, speedy, I, boarding and, uh, speedy boarding. Speedy boarding? Yet yeah, you get speed? Well, you're going to start me off on a rant in a second. I know. Speedy boarding.
0: I, we've we've been there and seen that at Stans that, uh, that is normally the biggest fast going.
1: Don't get me going on <laughs> speedy boarding. I think it's a disgrace what they what they do.
0: Is that, is that uh, a similar sort of thing to what I'm thinking, Pip, where uh, they, well, they, I, they pull a the bus up and let everyone get on the bus and then they, they, they bus you to the plane and everyone gets onto the plane straight away. That's right. That's yeah. one
1: thing they do. And the yeah. other thing that drives me up the wall, uh, and it happens at certain airports at Paris and um, uh, Stansted and, and other places, what they do, they, they, they announce the boarding and so all the speedy boarders get up and they, they let you go through the desk but all you do is you go through and wait in the either on the jetway or in some corridor somewhere, and the plane hasn't even arrived on stand yet. So you're all stood there queuing up, waiting for half an hour before the plane's even arrived. And oh, you know, especially with these glass jetways, you you herded like cattle into a greenhouse, especially and in the winter time. And I and It's cold. I well, it's it's a terrible way to treat uh, treat your passengers, but. <laughs> But hey, like I said, if if uh, people know what they're getting into, if they're only paying a few pounds for the ticket, then then so be it, I suppose. But no, you're right; it's certainly not business travel, uh, at least not uh, as the the main carriers offer it. That's mm. a that's a totally different experience. You know, flying business on Lufthansa or British Airways. Oh, that's, that's completely it. different. Oh,
0: yeah, 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 and and um, Emirates as well. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can try and get us an upgrade into business class next week. I'm going to try.
1: we we succeeded once before.
0: Did you? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, uh, managed to, uh, probably uh, some of the uh, regular listeners will know we, when me and my wife got married, we flew with Emirates, uh, to the Maldives and, uh, managed to blag my way, uh, to getting us a business class upgrade on the triple seven. Um, ooh, very nice. Which was really good, and to be fair, the staff were so great. You know, they really on a, on a, you know couldn't do enough for us, and they were more than happy to um, tear our economy tickets up and uh, print us out some lovely fresh business class tickets. Oh, very nice! And it was purely about by asking Pip. Um, you know,
1: yeah. Mm, I well, I'm. I'm over the years, I've been trying to de- develop a technique for getting upgraded, but uh, I'm not quite there yet. I maybe get upgraded in. I don't know, one in fifteen flights, perhaps. But you, depends on the airline a little bit. Some airlines, it's more likely to happen. But you know, I I always get on last when I'm boarding, and I flash them a, a winning smile and try and chat them <laughs> up a bit. But uh, <laughs> it, it usually doesn't
0: work. To be to be fair, Pip, though, you do get the best seat pretty much every day of your, your well, job. yeah, that is true. I suppose I mean, you know, for for, uh, for us uh, aviation geeks and that, you 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 get the best seat every time you fly. But, mm, but you're flying. That's true.
1: That's true.
0: <laughs> yeah, the view is quite nice from Rysan. Oh, I I do miss cockpit visits. I really do. But there you go. Mm. I'm still, I'm still waiting for you to come into uh, to Norwich, Pip, so I can uh, grab a quick um, you know flight with you to wherever. Really, I don't, I'm not really. Yeah, obsessed. funny thing. I
1: I <laughs> used to go into Norwich not a lot, but you know, reasonably regularly. But I've not been to Norwich now for goodness, probably better part of two years. I think.
0: No, you'll you'll have to get in contact with your bosses. You need uh, you yeah. know, some more routes into into Norwich. Yeah, it's
1: a shame that I like Norwich. It's a nice uh, a nice night stop.
0: Hmm. Well, you know where I am, Pip. Just uh, send us an email. <laughs> when oh, you know I this certainly way. will. Certainly will.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: so next story then is on Flight Global's site, and uh, Etihad have unveiled their first seven eight seven nine with the new livery. So Etihad Airways uh, have unveiled uh, their first Boeing seven eight seven nine uh, with the new livery and will deploy the aircraft on revenue service from the 1st of December. The aircraft, uh, which is registered Alpha 6 Bravo Lima Alpha, will be formally delivered to Etihad in December. The airline had earlier this week showed off the new livery on its first Airbus A380 in Hamburg. But Etihad says the 7879 will be the first to operate with the new livery on revenue flights. Dusseldorf and Doha will be the first Etihad destinations to be served with the 7879 from Abu Dhabi, followed by Washington Dills and Mumbai in the first quarter. From June, Etihad will operate the 7879 to Brisbane and Moscow. With the economics of the aircraft, the seven eight seven nine will be the one that air will be very, very central to our flying and future expansion, says Etihad Chief and commercial officer Peter Baumgardner the seven eight seven nine livery unveiling at Boeing's facilities in Washington in Everett in washington uh was uh, you can see the picture on the site here We'll put these on the show notes on the website so you guys can uh, the listeners can see. Um but uh, Etihad has identified at least forty routes that can be potentially served with the seven eight seven nine. So what do you think of that one, Pip? You've uh, you can probably see the link there with a photo of the uh the new uh, livery on that seven eight seven.
1: Yeah, just looking at it now. Um well I, I like the seven eight seven anyway, of course. And uh yeah, it doesn't look too bad. It's quite understated. It's uh sort of a uh I don't know what you call that pattern, but there's that irregular triangular Thing on the tail with the orange and black and white, it's uh, yeah, it's nice.
0: I like that.
1: I think they've done a nice job there. It is nice.
0: So, the 7879 is going to be configured with uh, eight first class suites, 28 business class uh, studios, and 199 economy seats. Um, so have you seen that uh, that suite that uh, the first class, um, I think it's Etty had, I've got that, um. Oh, I forget the name of the name, we featured it in one of our previous episodes, that that palatial uh, kind of uh, h- hotel mm. suite uh, as a first class, the, the residence, that's it. That's yeah, no, I've
1: heard about it, I've I've not seen it, I've of course not had the pleasure to, to experience it first hand. A friend of mine went on um, not so long ago, he took a first class on the uh, an Emirates A380 mm. and that looked pretty spectacular, he showed me some of the pictures Oh with the um uh, he,
0: sliding doors and stuff. Yeah, yeah. he
1: uh yeah. he used the shower there. Oh, wow. Um I think you had to pre-book that, but that was a, you know, a nice little touch to have a shower. Um but this is something different, isn't it? This is a, a whole first class suite that uh, Etihad's a, a offering. Yeah. And sort of a your own um your own uh, living room almost. Yeah,
0: Etihad were one of the options that we had for flying uh, to Dubai, but uh, Emirates came out just a bit cheaper on the flights uh, to uh, from you know from Heathrow to um, to Dubai. But uh, I definitely like to try Etihad at some point. Uh, they're supposed to be a really good airline. They've got some good reviews on the sites and stuff, and their branding and their whole product that they give, even in economy, is supposed to be quite um, quite class leading as well.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think all the uh, those three big uh, Middle Eastern airlines, Etihad, Qatar and uh, Emirates, they they put the rest of us to shame actually, even as you see on the economy uh, cabins. They they really go the extra mile and you know, make it worth the ticket price. I think uh, you know, the likes of BA and Air France and Lufthansa could learn something from them. Definitely. So Etihad expects to take delivery
0: of 27879s by the end of 2014. And we'll have five seven eight seven nines by the end of two thousand and fifteen. The airline also has orders for thirty seven eight seven tens and uh they expect all 71 787s to be delivered to Etihad by the end of 2023. Now you've probably seen on the um, various podcasts and the news sites and stuff, uh, Pip, that uh, you know a lot of these airlines have got massive backlogs. Of uh, of aircraft that uh, airlines are waiting for, uh, not just the seven eight seven, but the seven three seven as well. There's uh, a lot of orders been placed for for them, and the new Airbus A three hundred and twenty neo as well.
1: Yes, yeah, so I understand that the manufacturers can pump them out the doors quick enough, can they?
0: No, no, and our own Ryanair is uh, they've ordered a hundred of the um, I think the new seven three seven Max. They've ordered a hundred mm. of those, uh, with an option for another hundred as well. I think yeah. they're starting to phase out some of the older seven three seven eight hundreds on the Ryanair. Well, that's Air right.
1: Point. I suppose the Ryanair ones are, are beginning to to get on a bit. It's um, a funny old world where a, a you know I don't know a seven or eight year old aircraft is considered old. <laughs> but they so must I do know, a lot of, of um,
0: rotations and stuff, flights. Those those particular aircraft, Pip the Ryanair ones. They they are in it. Oh, I'm
1: sure they work them to their maximum mm. um, that they can. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So how uh, how uh, just moving on uh, quickly again, uh, Pip? How, how's uh, how's your aircraft?
1: It's uh, it's very nice. I like it a lot. It's, uh, it's certainly getting on a, a little bit now in in years. Um, I don't know how many years we're going to keep hold of it. Um, probably only three or four, I would think. Because
0: you fly the uh, Hawker, don't you?
1: Yeah, the Hawker Eight Hundred or the HS One Two Five to give it its uh, original or proper British designation. Um, yeah, it's a good aircraft. I like it a lot. It's uh, it does the job very well. Um, but yeah, like I say, we're we're gonna at Safe Jets. We'll uh, I don't think we'll see them in in too many more years. We'll replace them with well, I don't know what yet. But uh,
0: I was going to ask. That. I just wondered whether you knew what um, you know what. Whether you're given the choice or when they do phase the aircraft out, whether they'll uh, they'll try and you on another particular type of y- aircraft.
1: Yes, they will. Um, what choice I'll have? Probably not much. It all comes down to well, it's complicated, but seniority and, and things like that, and mm. I, it depends how the cards fall. To be honest, Carlos, I, I could be in a position where I get to choose something. More than likely, not. I would think. But, um, you, you know, in our business, we we tend to renew aircraft fleets fairly often. Uh, the You know, the people we're, we're flying uh, do like to have new airplanes uh, in the company. So we, we, I guess we don't really hold on to them for much more than 10 years, mm. if that. Um, so we, we're we constantly introducing new fleets and phasing out old ones. Uh, we've recently taken on um, some uh, global 6000s, which are, you know, in the bizjet world, are uh, as about as good as it gets. Wow, um, we've also got some uh, some smaller things coming in, some Embraers, um, uh, and maybe something from Cessna in a, f- in a few years' time. I'm I'm not quite sure. The, the jury's still out on that one, but yeah, we'll see, we'll see. But uh, yeah, there's a few more years in the Hawker left, and it's uh, it's, it's well up to the job.
0: Oh, excellent. So next piece of news then, uh, Flight Global again, and this is uh, ESA EASA certifying the A350 nine hundred. So, uh, Airbus has secured European certification for the A350 900 following a 15 month flight test campaign comprising of more than 2,600 flight hours. The European Aviation Safety Agency has certified the aircraft with two maximum takeoff weight variants a basic 268 tonne and a higher 275 tonne option. The higher capability is intended to mitigate the A350's airframe weight which is around 3 tonnes above Airbus's target specification. The A350 program chief Diva, uh, Dida Evrad, God, I have to pronounce these weird names sometimes, <laughs> says the manufacturer can now proceed with uh, the next step of the delivery process, adding that the first customer aircraft, MSN6, for Qatar Airways is ready to be transferred to the Airbus flight test team. They will define... A delivery date with uh, the customer, says Everad, but stresses that this will be before the end of the year for sure. Now, the A350, Pip, uh, we just missed that at uh, Farnborough this year. So we didn't get a chance to see this aircraft, but I did get the chance to interview um, the marketing director for Airbus uh, in the 350 mock-up. Uh, cockpit which was all singing and dancing and working mm. with all the screens and everything uh, working and um, stunning aircraft to see the actual flight deck of Pip definitely but it looks to me I don't know what you think people I think the 350 just sort of bear a few resemblances to the, the uh, 787 what do you think
1: uh, yeah you're probably right well of course they're both designed to to fill the same gap in the market and, and largely do the same job um so yeah they're pretty similar in in performance and, and range and and all that sort of stuff i must admit i don't know an awful lot at all about the 350. um i've certainly not seen it in the flesh um i there's a very nice video you've probably seen it on youtube of a, an a350 flying into uh kemble i think it was one of the uh, small airfield down in gloucestershire mm. um and Demonstrates very well its uh, short landing performance. They they planted on this runway and have the thing stopped in barely a, a you know a few airframe lengths. Uh, it's quite impressive to watch. Have you seen that video? Do you know the one I'm talking about?
0: I haven't, no, but uh, I'm going to look out for that one on uh, YouTube now. I think I shall uh, once we finish the show. Yeah, have a, give be something to quite, watch quite uh, over to tea, watch. over the meal. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the A350 has completed extended twin engine operations testing and Airbus is waiting for the agencies to confirm the ETOPS limits to be placed on the aircraft. Uh, Do you have a similar sort of thing on the aircraft you fly, Pip? This is something I always wondered. Large passenger aircraft have uh, ETOPS certification. Um, Obviously, the aircraft you fly has two engines. And you carry passengers, but on a smaller scale. But do you have a similar kind of sort of ETOPS, extended
1: twin operations certification? Yes and no. We Not on the aircraft I fly because we don't use it for, you know, extended oceanic flights. It hasn't got the legs to do those sorts yeah. of journeys. But on the other ones we have on the on the Gulf Streams and on the Globals and uh, on our Falcons, I'm not sure. But, yeah, we certainly have um, ETOPS uh, clearances. I think I could be wrong here. I think we have 180-minute ETOPS. Uh, which basically means you can fly a twin-engine aircraft out over, uh, you know, a remote or oceanic routing, and you can be up to 180 minutes single-engine flying time from a an airfield where you could land if you lose an engine. Uh, so that's what Etops is all about. It lets you fly more direct routes across across the oceans.
0: Yeah. Bit of information there for our listeners. Then definitely um, uh, something interesting that I've I've uh, looked at. In the past as well, read up on stuff about e-tops. Uh, it's interesting that is.
1: Yeah, I mean, this you know it really comes into its own um, when you're doing the, these very long Pacific crossings, mm. uh, where you know you really are hours away from anywhere you could could land if you if you had to. Um, on the Atlantic, well, it, you know you use it on the Atlantic as well. But I think there's quite a few places. You know the Azores or the Canaries or I don't know Iceland. Even um, there's options in the Atlantic, but when you're going across the Pacific, there's often hours and hours from anywhere. So what's uh, the fur- and the only way to do it is to have these these ETOPS clearances that let you fly these routes.
0: What's the furthest uh, distance you fly then,
1: Pip, with your aircraft?
0: The sort of furthest you go from the UK. Uh,
1: well, the furthest I've been is probably in one in one hit. You know, I'd have to- in one, um, I don't know. I'd have to get a map out. It's probably Katerinburg in uh, Russia. Okay, uh, that's probably slightly further east than Dubai. Do you know? Off the top of my head, I couldn't think. But um, yeah, either Dubai or, or Katerinburg. But is, uh, we've had aircraft out in Japan and weird places like that before. Wow. Uh, our little Hawker. Uh, uh, obviously, it won't do it. You know, it won't do that in one go from uh, from London. But um, we get around a bit. It's not fair. You have an awesome job. <laughs> well, <laughs> Someone's got to it. Oh.
0: <laughs> Moving on to the next story, then uh, Flight Global again. Airbus uh, aims to line fit their A350s uh, with lithium batteries from 2016. Airbus is to work towards offering a lithium battery as the line-fit standard for its A350-900s from 2016, following certification of the type with nickel-cadmium cells. The European Aviation Safety Agency has granted a type certificate for the Rolls-Royce Trent XWB-84-powered jet, with the US FAA approval set to follow shortly. While Airbus had originally designed the A350 to draw electrical power from lithium batteries, it deferred this plan after concerns emerged over the use of such batteries in the Boeing 787. There was a period when we weren't sure certification requirement for a lithium solution would have been stable, says A350 programme chief de Everard, and we didn't want to take any risks. Airbus conducted tests of both battery types on its A350 prototype fleet, although the last development aircraft, as certification standard model, retained a nickel-cadmium battery. Ah, so see, Airbus have uh, kind of learnt uh, learnt a lesson, really, after the um, the problems that Boeing have had. Pip.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, you know, that could have spelt uh, the end for the 787. Uh, you know they had huge problems with that and and uh, as max was saying on on the previous episode it's um a little concerning that they never really got to the root of that problem no. they you know invented some workarounds and some um some containment procedures but they doesn't seem to have, have really uh, isolated and identified the root cause
0: no there's a lot of the podcasts do talk about this particular subject and you know like like uh, like you just said pip they never they never just narrowed it down to it was this that caused it um, mm. but touch wood, and I am touching wood at the moment, you know the uh, problems seem to have uh, been been either so- solved or sorted now with the aircraft. I mean we haven't had any seven eight seven news for a while now on the
1: on that's the, right they've been flying around quite happily for the I don't know the last year or so haven't they mm. they don't seem to be dropping out of the sky. So the story here on the uh, aircraft
0: itself the A350 sa- is saying that uh, the aircraft has been approved to operate at a maximum altitude of 43,100 feet. That sounds really high for a commercial aircraft but
1: uh... um yeah it is. I don't know where that 100 feet comes from it's slightly <laughs> odd but uh, yeah 43,000 I suppose that would be a little higher than than uh, the most can manage. Do you fly uh, I don't than... suppose it would do that every that would be at um you know it's probably it's theoretical uh, optim- uh theoretical uh, max altitude I, I don't suppose it would do that with a full load of passengers and fuel
0: i was going to say i th- i expect you've probably fly higher than that with uh, with a private jet like.
1: um no we the hawker is uh, at least the european registered ones are limited to 41000 okay. and we regularly fly at 41000 i believe the us ones are allowed up to 43 um there are other business jets go a little bit higher, uh, and then some of the the modern Gulf Streams um, can go up into the 50s. I think 50,000 feet. Although only it you wouldn't want to do that during daytime. You get uh, uh, you get an overdose of radiation. But uh, come nighttime, they can get up into the 50s. Wow. So next piece of
0: news. Moving on. Uh, Flight Global again. This one is uh, regarding the Rolls Royce making progress with their Trent 7000 engine. Uh, The Trent 7000, which produces 72,000 pounds of thrust, uh, uh, will exclusively power uh, the re-engined wide-body A330neo. Rolls-Royce has already uh, had more than 50% share of engines uh, on in-service A330s with its original Trent Seven Hundred. The 7000 is based on the latest iteration of the Trent 1000 for the Boeing 787 the Trent 1000 TEN and includes features such as weight-saving blisk and the compressors or in the compressors and a system that integrates the engine dressings into a composite raft-like structure the first engine will be built and ground tested next year and flight test engines will follow in 2016 ahead of the first actual flight test in 2017 with entry into service slated for 2017. Other changes compared with the original Trent 700 for the Airbus A330, launched in March 1995, include a 2.84-metre fan rather than the uh, 97-inch fan. Uh, Well, 2.84-metres converts to 112-inches. Uh, it helps double the bypass ratio to ten and improve specific fuel consumption by ten percent. Um, I've uh, they've got a model, or I think a model of one of these, or the the Trent engines. I think it's the um, the I think it's seven hundred. They've got the Trent engine at Duxford, the Aviation Museum, Pip inside mm. the hangar just where the concorde is just as you walk in they've got one of these Trent engines there and they are huge oh, yeah. engines really huge
1: there yeah and you don't appreciate it do you, until you get up next to one Oh no and you can really see how how you know you could you know it's as big as a house almost some of these things you can quite comfortably stand up inside one with your arms stretched above your head uh, yeah they're whopping great things yeah,
0: it's great, and also the um, they've also got one of the Rolls Royce RB211s there as well, which is um, one of the sort of old school engines that powered the Tristar. But also great to see. Um, so good news for Rolls Royce there. Uh, definitely uh, making greener engines. Pip um, producing less uh, less emissions. Me and uh, Max touched on that in the last episode. Which is good news. Good news for the environment.
1: Yeah, these things are getting better all the time, aren't they? Um, Well, yeah, I guess it is.
0: (laughs) So next piece of news, Flight Global, and Boeing raises the 737 yearly delivery target to 624 in 2018. Boeing has announced a plan to further increase 737 production to 52 aircraft per month or 624 aircraft per year in 2018. The latest capacity boost adds to existing plans to raise production from 42 currently to 47 per month in 2017, as Boeing introduces the 737 MAX in the third quarter of that year. Boeing has more than 4,000 orders for the 737 Next Generation and the 737 MAX in the backlog. The 737 Next Generation is expected to remain in production through the second quarter of 2019 with the last delivery to Ryanair. Beginning in mid-2015, the 737 Next Generation will be produced side-by-side with the 737 MAX on three assembly lines in Renton, Washington. The third line is opening next year to support the assembly of the 737 MAX flight test fleet. As it reaches full speed, the third line increases the potential capacity of the 737 production system to build up to 63 aircraft per month. Boeing has also raised capacity on the 737 wing assembly line in Renton to support a potential capacity of 63 aircraft per month as well. That's quite a lot of aircraft per month, isn't it, Pip, for it to be Mm, produced? That's that's, um, that's a lot of aircraft a month.
1: It is. It's quite a... Quite an achievement, isn't it? It's like, like Max said on the last episode, it's uh, not just a a simple matter of pushing a few engines, the wheels a bit faster. It's a uh, it's a colossal effort to to start pumping these things out at such a rate.
0: When you look at the uh, the videos and documentaries and stuff on uh, Discovery, you see how these aircraft are put together, and the wiring looms and the cables and and everything that goes together to make just just one aircraft. You know, and that's they're...
1: right it's it's and of course they're not I don't know how Boeing does it but certainly you know when you look at Airbus aircraft they're not all uh, put together in one place you have components uh, uh, assembled and um, produced at one place and others here and then they're all uh, brought together and assembled somewhere then that maybe that thing's taken somewhere else and the final assembly takes place it's it's quite a complex a complex production line
0: hmm.
1: in fact I'm often that um, the big Airbus facility up at uh, Horden Airport just o- outside Manchester. We have a big maintenance facility up there. And it's uh, – have you ever been up there?
0: No, Can I ask? haven't. But it's, it's
1: colossal. They have these just enormous hangars. I don't know what on earth goes inside of them. And they have a couple of times a day the old Airbus uh, – what do they call oh, it? the that Beluga. Huge monstrosity of an aircraft. The, is it the Guppy? Do they call the, it that? The Guppy or the Beluga? The Beluga. The Beluga. The beluga yeah. Well done, yeah. They, they have that come in a couple of times a day delivering – Goodness knows what wings and engines and things, and it's oh, wow. it's quite an impressive sight to see.
0: There's a lot of places around the UK I want to get to at some point in uh, in in time. It's just trying to fit everything in. With yeah,
1: unfortunately, I don't think the uh, the the Airbus place is open to the public. Unfortunately, no, that's a shame. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite impressive. Not you?
0: even aviation geeks like us.
1: Well, you could mm. try, but uh, <laughs> even I have enough problems getting through security there.
0: Oh, blimey! Yeah. Okay, so another story then we've got on Flight Global is a top 10 um, or possible top 10 of worst airline liveries. Oh, this will be good. (laughs) Unfortunately, I've got no uh, sound clips to put up on uh, on here to uh, introduce this particular segment. Pip, uh, you do that well. You do that very well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we're going to scroll down to the bottom and we're going to start off with number 10 and um oh yeah i've
1: just pulled it up here okay uh all right yeah oh okay. uh,
0: yes so uh at number 10 uh on the list uh we've got uh, an airline i've never flown on um don't know a huge amount about it but it's called s10 um uh s7 s7 sorry yes yeah, sorry s7 yeah. well done Pete. Uh, uh s7 um how fly airbus a320s and they belong to the one world um alliance if you call it um but the russian carrier has a lime green color uh painted to the aircraft what do you think of that one pip
1: mm, do you know what i i don't think that's too bad actually nice. um looking at looking at the, the 10 here i wouldn't have uh possibly not included it in that list it looks all right it's not uh it's not the prettiest i've ever seen but i've, I've seen worse it's you know it's 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 a two tone green isn't it? They've got a dark mm. green underneath and a, a lime green, with it looks like a, uh, um, you know, people passengers painted on the side. Mm. Um, That's yeah, not awful. It's an environmental colour. That's it's right, green. It stands out. We're for going the price. green. Yeah. So who's I've it? seen these guys around before. S <laughs> seven. I think they're flying to London, in fact, and I've not, um, you know, I've not had to look away in, in horror when I've seen them.
0: So number nine then, Pip, take number nine away.
1: Uh, number nine, what are we looking at? Eva Air. Uh, and Eva Air, let's have a look at this. It's Well, I quite like this one again, actually. Uh, Hello Kitty is an icon in Asia and not just with children. Uh, so when Taiwanese airline Eva Air painted the Japanese cartoon character on five of a E330s, it seemed like a sound marketing ploy. And so it has proved the character now adorns a Boeing 777-300ER, which will fly between Taipei and Paris from 29th of October. And the airline says demand for these flights is high. So sorry, Eva and Hello Kitty fans everywhere, but we just had to include it.
0: <laughs> just looking at the picture there, it's um, definitely an interesting paint job. Um not again to... I,
1: I quite like that i must have i mean for the, for the
0: for the children if you've got young children they are going to really appreciate this uh particular paint job on the aircraft i think when you're when you're boarding with with your children they're gonna love this
1: absolutely i've got a three-year-old daughter and, and she would uh she would love that
0: oh there you go uh, uh, gonna... yeah just
1: to describe for your listeners it's a it's a white fuselage isn't it and, and the whole way down the side it's got these cartoon characters painted along alongside the fuselage um i guess hello kitty uh, uh uh, Hello Kitty characters. I'm not familiar with that, but, uh, you know, it's rabbits and and I'm not quite sure what princesses and things like that. It looks quite nice. It's okay. So
0: number eight is Braniff. Um, Braniff were uh, from the uh, 1970s, um, but Braniff was one of the airlines that forgot uh, taste when it came to its liveries often a seemingly random mix of reds, yellows, oranges and golds, which reflected the Texan carrier's brash approach to business. At the end of the 1970s, it briefly operated Concorde domestically in the USA between Washington, D.C. and Dallas-Fort Worth on behalf of British Airways and Air France. Braniff uh, collapsed in 1982. I don't, I don't think that's that bad of... A color really the 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 picture they've got here is of the uh of a 727 um painted in orange uh, with a, a white tail and uh and a kind of black uh cockpit area would you say pip
1: yeah yeah it's it's a very um a 1970s looking design isn't it you're right it's not awful no it's, it's not particularly exciting just looks yeah like i'll tell thing. you what i'd like to see uh proof of this fact here that they operated the Concorde on behalf of British and Air France.
0: I think that is, I think I that's right. I
1: highly doubt that. I,
0: Do you think that's right? I think, yeah, I've, I'm pretty sure I've read somewhere, and our listeners will probably be able to tell us this anyway, that I, I'm pretty sure that Concorde, they they done one of those things where they painted one half with with BA and they had the other half painted with another Air because I'm pretty sure that, that Concorde flew with another with Singapore. That's it. I remember Concord having the Singapore mm. Airlines um, logo painted on as well. Going to have to look that one up.
1: Yeah, I'd be mildly surprised if that were true, but yeah, it could be right. So next one, then Pip, I'll leave it on to you. Number seven. Number seven. Oh, um, I have to be careful here. There's, uh, <laughs> well, I won't say too much. Delta Airlines. Uh, the U.S. carries new colors in motion livery for the 21st century, with a flowing fabric design on the tail. Was known as Wavy Gravy and was disliked rather than despised. Uh, It stuck around until 2007 mainly because Delta was broke. But not all of its fleet aircraft were repainted—a sure sign that the marketing department's enthusiasm for the rebrand was perhaps not shared throughout the company. Uh, So this is Delta. Do you know what? I quite like that. I I think that that looks. That's
0: on the list. No, that looks quite corporate. Quite.
1: um, Yeah, it's very sleek and clean, and Mm. it's nice. I don't know what the problem with that is. I did like if the I, um, the
0: old Delta livery. I, I did really like the original, the old Delta um, livery they had, especially uh, on the on okay, the Tristar. Fine. I'm gonna have to say yeah. on Tristar.
1: Okay, I can't immediately. Yeah, uh, think what it is, but this this I think the 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 current Delta paint scheme is not too different from this, is it?
0: No, it's. I don't think it is actually. I think the tails are the same. They've got a, a logo, I
1: think, on the tail on the uh, the new livery. Hmm. No, I think I I don't know why it's on the list. I. Yeah. Uh, I think we should strike that one off. Delta doesn't deserve to be there.
0: Number six does, however. <laughs> okay, okay. So number six. Um, this I've seen quite a few of these, and these are pretty um, eye-catching. That's the word. Uh, Kalula, uh, K- Kulu- Kalula. Yeah, Kalula, the South African low-cost airline uh, Kalula and they've painted their Boeing 737s and they're famous for their wacky green designs, but they're not to everyone's tastes. Um, the uh, particular one they've got here in the picture looks like a graffiti artist has been given free reign with a tin of spray paint. That's uh that's a really interesting livery, That one, Pip, uh, Kalula. Have you, yeah, have you seen these us. ones? Cause they do a lot of, there's a lot of different ones as well. They do. Oh, is there? Mm.
1: It's a uh, it's mm, it's a little a little too wacky for my liking. <laughs> Are these the guys that did? Um, they painted over one side of the aircraft all these little sort of signs with arrows saying with an arrow pointing to the cockpit saying magic happens That's here. That's it. And,
0: yeah, yeah, they did. Oh, it was those guys was it? That oh, is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Oh, well, you
1: got to give them uh, marks for a sense of humour. Oh, it
0: it kind of reminds me of a of a of a tin of um, of uh, lemonade.
1: I don't know why. Yeah, it looks like Seven Up <laughs> or something, doesn't it? It's, yeah, oh. I'm, I'm not liking that one too much. So number five, then, Pip. Ah, uh, oh, very BMI baby. Um, British Midland International or BMI, as they were, launched its low-cost subsidiary in 2002 with a cringeworthy play on words and a scroll of a live uh, livery, with the tail featuring what looked like a child's crayon drawing of a child's face. The livery, like the Boeing C- 737 operator itself, died when British Airways parent, IAG, took over in 2012.
0: No, I don't think that one... I mean, that's not that bad. I think that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. You know, this, as a logo goes, yeah, bmibaby.com on the side of the aircraft there. That's it,
1: and they've got a picture of a baby on the... Te- what, a sort of a, a an effigy of a baby on the tail? Yeah. That's... that's, that's that. We're
0: going to have to put together... A, we're going to have to do a, a listener's top um top ten of their, their most disliked uh, paint jobs, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sure I could come up with ten better ones than this.
0: So number four, then, on this list, uh, is Austrian Airlines. Um, Austrian Airlines decided to adorn their aircraft with portraits of uh, the country's most famous citizens, like Mozart and Strauss. There's one notable exception... Actually, there were two world champion racing driver. Nicky Lauda was also ignored because he was then running a, or a running rival airline of his own. Uh, nice idea, but asking for trouble. These ones I've seen. I've seen these quite a bit actually uh, when I've been flying here, there, and everywhere. Um, I'm not a huge fan of my. I I don't know. I don't don't really like that. awful lot, Pip.
1: Mm, I I think I'd agree with you. Um... I think Norwegian Airlines uh is it Norwegian? Yeah, they've
0: got the right idea. They do something
1: similar, don't they? They put a, a famous Norwegian person on the tail. On the tail. That that looks good. Yeah. That looks I really tell you good. what, I'm just looking at, at this picture of the uh, Austrian Airlines with all the famous Austrians on the side, and I don't see possibly their most famous export, um, big Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> he's not there is he no he's not there how they left off big army i can't believe it
0: they should have put his picture on the uh on the engine on the oh, engine, yeah, engine cowling <laughs> a form of power that would be yes. good that'd be good so pip number three
1: okay number three all right well this this is a definite contender uh air jamaica we're looking at uh, and it says, we certainly see what message the Caribbean car- uh, carrier is trying to get across with its multicoloured c- concoction. Best not viewed when you've been on the Jamaican rum the previous night. <laughs> so what have we got here? It looks like another 727. Yeah, another 727. With, uh, uh, some sort of dog's dinner of a rainbow painted across the side of the fuselage. It's yellow, it's red, it's blue, it's pink. Orange. mesh.
0: I mean, I'm I'm looking at the tile. The tile section it actually looks quite good with the blue, the deep blue, and then you kind of move forward along the fuselage, and it and it's kind of like a a kind of seventies um, nightclub.
1: That's right. That's exactly <laughs> what it's like. Um, you know, it should be a big picture of Huggy Bear on the side of it or something.
0: <laughs> you definitely wouldn't actually if you're if you're flying uh, a VFR, you wouldn't miss that.
1: Very safety, uh, a safety conscious paint scheme. Absolutely you're Actually, right. that's it's that's
0: that's probably the reason some of these airlines have gone like this. Uh, uh, Pip, you know, because when you're flying VFR, you can see these uh, aircraft a-, a long way away. You wouldn't need, you wouldn't right, have the yeah. need for TCAS.
1: Absolutely, and if you did see one, you'd be darn <laughs> sure to turn and fly the other way. You wouldn't going to get anywhere near that thing, would you?
0: So at number two. Why is this one at number two? We're definitely going to have to do our own list of these. So, Anchor Air, A N K A, Anchor Air. Um, if you write your name on the side of your aircraft as Anchor Air, best not to have. Uh, uh, I've just uh, got this one. Yes. Sorry, go on.
1: <laughs> I, I,
0: uh, <laughs> this is going to have to go in the show notes. Uh, yes, um, <laughs> it's best not to have your icon alongside uh, the uh, airline's name um so anchor air um has a kind of uh, a, a w style logo mm. on the tail um uh and uh yes it's uh, a turkish airline I know if i'm right I'm reading here it's a turkish airline uh, anchor air um yeah that's that is that's, that's I mean, unfortunate it, isn't it's it it's an it's an unfortunate um uh, paint job i think on that aircraft yeah.
1: yeah and perhaps um I'm not sure if the non-british listeners will uh, quite get that one but uh anchor plus a w at the beginning equals mm. a naughty word yeah yeah that. we'll
0: we'll put a, we'll put a link to the on the show notes page so you can uh, so the listeners will be able to see that to appreciate that so <laughs> We're going to leave number one to, uh, to our guest on the show then. Come on, Pip. Number one. Oh,
1: thanks very much. Oh, number one. Uh, I take some perverse joy in reading this one out, actually. This is British Airways at the number one spot uh, with their ethnic tail fins. Uh, and it says, in the 1990s, BA's then chief executive, Bob Ayling, oversaw a corporate rebrand that saw the flag carrier's traditional logo replaced with so-called ethnic tails. It was meant to reflect BA's status as a world airline and the new relaxed multicultural called Britannia. However, the design was widely derided in the UK, most notably by former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, who placed her handkerchief over a model on a BA sponsor stand at the Conservative Party conference in 1997. The rebrand is said to have contributed to Ailing eventually losing his job. And the picture they've got here is of a, a BA 747-400, Uh, The standard white fuselage with the the BA red and blue swish. And then on the tail, it's, uh, I'm not quite sure what that is, Carlos. Is that some flowers? and
0: Kind of flowers and ferns and kind of plants, gardening stuff. My wife would know more about that, not me. Mm,
1: To be honest, it doesn't look entirely awful. Uh, I think BA, BA have done worse over the years. You've probably seen the the one they brought out for the Olympics a few years ago. The, mm. the I think it was meant yeah. to be a golden eagle or something, wasn't it?
0: That was what they put on the A319? Was it the A319? Yeah, A3 the A320s. On, they on they A320, painted some A320, of them yeah. with this
1: weird... It was meant to be gold feathers, wasn't it? But it uh, it didn't look good. But I can still I've remember
0: seen. all these different tiles um, on the air. This is when I used to... I mean, I think this is like when I used to go to Heathrow a lot. Um and go to the viewing gallery and see these aircraft with the different tiles. Um, some of them are rather interesting tile colours, definitely. That being probably one of the more interesting ones, I think, at BAA. Mm.
1: No, I, you know, that's quite a nice effort. Yeah. It's I've good. I've seen worse. I've seen worse. So, well, I think, in my personal opinion, out of those 10, the one that deserves to be at the number one spot is probably. Uh, I'm going to go with either Austrian or Kalula Airlines. <laughs> I think they should take the number one slot.
0: Definitely, definitely Kalula, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So we hope you enjoyed that uh, little top 10 there. Of um, We're going we're gonna to probably run our own one, I think, on this show. I think so. I think um, you should, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So next piece of news, we're going to put some military news in. Um, this is on Flight Global site. And Australia are to buy up to four more C-17s. The Australian government has announced its intention to buy an additional 2 and possibly up to 4 Boeing C-17A Globemaster III transports for the Royal Australian Air Force. In a media statement issued on the 3rd of October, Defence Minister David Johnston said the process to purchase two aircraft had already begun through a request for pricing and availability through the US government's Foreign Military Sales (FMS) program. He added that a decision on two more aircraft would be informed by the outcomes of 2015 Defence, White Paper and Force Structure Review process. Since the first delivery in 2006, we have seen the C-17A Globemaster perform exceptionally well at the forefront of Australia's military operations and humanitarian work. Recent global events have seen Australia's national capabilities, like the C seventeen A, come to fore and assist our friends and allies. Have you seen one of these uh, close up, Pip? The C seventeen?
1: Um, have I? I think I have. I've seen. I've certainly seen the C seventeen simulator that they've got at a, at a, a farm. You know, maybe not meant to say that. Scrap that last bit. I've seen the simulator at an undisclosed <laughs> location somewhere, uh, but they do keep it under lock and key. Um, yeah, nice aircraft, though. I like the C-17. Oh,
0: wow. So uh, the all of the RAF or RAAF C-17As are operated by 36 Squadron at uh, RAAF Amberley near Brisbane. So a little piece of uh, C-17 news for you there. Next piece of news, Flight Global again, the U.S. Air Force again seeks to upgrade B-52H radars. The U.S. Air Force is breathing new life into uh, an effort to upgrade the radar systems in its fleet of Boeing B-H or B-52H bombers, initially announced four years ago. The Air Force Lifecycle Management Center on the 23rd of September announced it was seeking technical performance and cost information for radar systems to replace the Northrop Grumman APQ-166 strategic radar, uh, radars first fielded in the 1950s and most recently upgraded in the 1980s. The request for information will inform a formal analysis of alternatives of radar modernization options for the B-52H fleet in 2020 and beyond and called a Strategic Radar Replacement SRR Program. These aircraft, Pip, these have been going for so many years and they, they're obviously still breathing more life into them. And yeah, quite and going. phenomenal,
1: isn't it? This is, I don't know how long this has been going for, but it's, it's many decades now, isn't it? It's uh, an incredible bit of kit that is still going, and it says here, uh, where did I see this? Yeah, in service till twenty forty. Wow. Um, so you know, another, it's still another good twenty odd years left in it. It's um, yeah, amazing.
0: Have you seen the uh, the B fifty two at uh, at Duxford?
1: In I have area? actually. Now you, know, you mm. mention it, yes. It's uh, and it's a whopping great machine as well, isn't it? It's huge. It is huge. I
0: awesome remember
1: sighting. years ago as a kid being taken by my great uncle to uh, the Mildenhall air show, um, and see those things flying around. It's quite impressive. Can't be many aeroplanes still flying that have eight engines. <laughs>
0: definitely not it must cost a fortune to run those aircraft absolutely yeah but uh, it would be good to see one of those flying Although I've yet to see I've seen the one at Duxford but I haven't seen one actually flying in the mm. air
1: are they still at Milton Hall I, or Laketon Heath or, or I don't know actually. USF
0: I don't know actually Simon would probably know that one but I don't mm. I'm not sure I've got
1: a feeling they're not um, I've been up there a few times over the years and I've seen F-15s and things flying around but I've not that I recall seen a B 52 hmm
0: Next piece of news is on the Royal Air Force site, the RAF site, and uh, this has just happened this week, and uh, the Royal Air Force have handed over the Merlin to the Royal Navy, Um, so uh, on the 1st of October it marked the end of an era for the Royal Air Force and the start of a new one for the Royal Navy as the official handover of the Merlin Helicopter took place in a formal ceremony at RAF Benson in Oxfordshire. The formal parade marked the next stage in the transition of the Merlin Helicopter from the Support Helicopter Force to the Commando Helicopter Force, a move that was introduced in the Strategic Defence and Security Review. Since 2012, aircrew and engineers from the Commando Helicopter Force of the Royal uh, Navy, have been integrated into the Merlin Force at RAF Benson, working alongside their Royal Air Force counterparts to absorb over a decade of experience of operating and maintaining the technologically advanced aircraft. The ceremony was attended by by their Royal Highnesses the Duke of York and the Commodore and Chief of the Fleet Air Arm and Prince Michael of Kent, Honorary Air Marshal of Royal Air Force Benson. Having been successfully employed on RAF operations in Bosnia, Iraq and Afghanistan and capable of carrying up to 24 fully equipped troops, the Merlin is ideally placed to transfer the literal role undertaken by the Commando Helicopter Force. Today, the transition program saw 78 Squadron RAF disband the 846 Naval Air Squadron stand up and 846 NAS will remain at RAF Benson until spring next year when they and several of the Merlin aircraft will return home to the Commando Helicopter Force, uh, which is at the Royal Naval Air Station in Yelverton in Somerset. Transition will continue at RAF Benson when 845 Naval Air Squadron will stand up in place of 28 Army Corporation Squadron RAF later in 2015. When fully operational, eight four five squadron will also return home to Yeovilton to reunite the fleet. Have you seen
1: one of these uh, in action? The uh, Merlin. I saw, yeah, I saw one. Uh, they had one um, at Riat this year. Oh ah, yeah. I think it was. There was just a static display. I think. Um, but uh, yeah, another impressive bit of machinery. To, I don't know much about helicopters. I must admit, I don't. Uh, mm. I don't understand them at all. But, uh yeah nice uh nice looking nice looking helicopter.
0: So do you enjoy React this year then uh, Pip? We missed you. You were there on uh, the. I was
1: there on the, whichever the day was that you were not. I think on, Saturday. I and think we Sunday went on a we Sunday. There. Oh, yeah yeah you were there Sunday. The, the day that it rained. Yeah, I think it was the Sunday.
0: <laughs> we had two really good days, Pip, and we both got sunburned.
1: <laughs> oh, did you really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. We no, ours was okay. The Sunday it rained a little in the morning, but uh, it was generally okay. Yeah, it was nice. I must say, it wasn't. Um, it, it felt a little um, flatter than uh, than previous riots I've been to. Um, there were an awful lot of aircraft that were had been advertised and were due to be there, but for whatever reason couldn't be there. So that put a, a little dampener on the day. And of course, the Vulcan wasn't there. Mm. Um, yeah, but yeah, we still had a good time. Excellent.
0: So that's the last piece of news we've got. And uh, we are going to come back to you uh, after a little break after this.
1: Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Crash, crash, turn that down. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket, anyhow? It's something we win a lot. Oh, there we oh! go.
0: <laughs> Don't forget, you too can contact the show and leave your messages for Simon and Carlos. Contact them via their website at www.plaintalkinguk.com or email them at plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send them your messages. They really want to hear from you. Yes, we do want to hear from you. Send us uh, send us your emails and stuff because we want to get some listener feedback. So, uh Pip, and as you've joined us then, uh, have you got some interesting pieces of news from uh, from your side of the uh, from your side of the UK? Uh
1: well, not so much news, but um I Listening to your last episode with Max, which is a really good episode, by the way. I enjoyed that one. Oh, thank there you. Was a, I, I was sitting in Manchester Airport as I, I listened to it. Uh, and I thought, oh, you know, I, I'll send uh, I'll send you guys some feedback on various bits and bobs that were cropping up. Um, so since I'm here, I thought I may as well just talk about those uh, rather than you read out the email I sent. Um, so you were talking about Qantas, you recall, removing their life rafts. Uh, yeah, the life rafts. Yeah, on uh, which I, I thought was quite interesting, um, and uh, just for a, a bit of information for you, the, the at least here in Europe, the law states that you have to have uh, life rafts on aircraft if you're flying more than three hundred nautical miles from land or from a suitable place to land. Uh, you know, so an airport. Um, and actually, that's pretty difficult in Europe to to find somewhere that's more than three hundred miles away from from somewhere suitable to land. You'd have to. Even flying up across the the ocean to Iceland, you, you're always within 300 miles of of somewhere you could go. So strictly speaking, uh, in at least as far as Europe goes, you don't technically need to have the life rafts. Although I can't think of any uh, of any airline that doesn't carry them because they're integral with the airframe. Uh, as you as you and Max talked about the the, uh, the the slides that come out from the emergency doors are are the life rafts. I'm not sure that they carry Separate, uh, independent rafts. I think the the slides do that job. Mm. Um, I can see where they're coming
0: was... from though, with the with the weight gain. Sorry, the weight loss. I should say. Absolutely. The, um, yeah, but
1: I was I was thinking about this and I I wasn't quite sure what they were getting at. Then I I, I assume they're not talking about removing the the slides from the emergency exits.
0: No, just the rafts. I think yeah. you,
1: you need those. You know, regardless mm. of of flying over water or not, that's the you know the emergency route out of the aircraft. Um, so maybe they do carry some some independent you know standalone rafts and and they're suggesting that they're not going to take those i'm not sure but uh yeah it's interesting to hear quantus doing that just a bit of information for you uh and what else did you guys talk about oh yes one of uh, max's specialities was uh drones uav oh,
0: yeah. uavs
1: <laughs> UAVs are, quadri- yeah, I know, you know, when you say drones, I think people, most people immediately think of military drones, which are basically full-size aircraft, aren't they?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, flying around, dropping bombs. But uh, as far as uh, Max's uh, UAV Digest podcast goes, drones is a, a pretty wide term. And um, the reason why I wanted to uh, weigh in on this is because I, in fact, have uh, my own drone. Ah, I think uh, I've own. seen this.
0: I've seen this on, uh, on your Facebook page. I think at some point, Pip, where oh, you, uh, have yeah, yeah. done a, a video. That's yes, it. Right. That, that looks so, really
1: good. It is good. What, what, what it is, it's, it's, uh, about the size of a large shoe box, I suppose. It's a quadcopter. So it's a four bladed helicopter. It weighs in the region, probably with all the kit installed on it with the camera and the gimbal, it's a little over one kilogram. So it's not a big thing at all. Um, And these things are widely available. You can buy them on Amazon and, you know, they're everywhere. Um, And people use them for fun, primarily, but for for taking videos, uh, for um, commercial uses, uh, aerial photography and and, um, all kinds of things. And these are going to become absolutely huge in the next few years. Over the next decade, you're going to see these everywhere, I think. You've already talked about on previous episodes uh, stories of – I think EasyJet were going to start using them, weren't they, to to to, perform aircraft inspections. That's it, yeah. yeah. Amazon, everyone will recall, started to to play around with these to see if they could use them for delivering packages. (laughs) Um, It's quite phenomenal what you can do. And, of course, you can – I think you can even do it with the one I've got, which is a pretty basic one, actually. You can pre-program a a route for it to fly, a GPS route, and you can just – I kind of press the go button and it will follow, follow a route. Um, But yeah, the, the, the thing uh, I I wrote to you about was the, what does worry me with these quadcopters and and drones is that they are so widely available and anyone can, can buy one with absolutely no prior knowledge of, of uh, aviation or airspace structure or, you know, the dangers that a drone might pose. And there are, there are, I don't know if I call them rules, but there are certainly guidelines out there published by the CAA, the Civil Aviation Authority, um, Mm. instructing people where you can use them and and, um, up to what heights, for instance, and how close to buildings and things you can get. Um, As you'll know from your flying lessons, um, probably Carlos, Mm. uh, a, a fixed wing aircraft or a helicopter or some other powered aircraft can't fly lower than 500 feet above the ground. Uh, so the CAA have suggested in their guidelines for drones that you can't fly them above 400 feet. So there's, in theory, light aircraft or powered aircraft and drones should be separated, if everyone's everyone's following the rules. Mm. But I strongly suspect that most people who go out and buy these things are not at all aware of the rules. And they're I've seen video. You know, you can go onto YouTube now and you can look up uh, videos that people have made of these things flying in completely inappropriate places like over airports and over congested cities and at uh, very high altitudes. Uh, so certainly you know, if, if people have got drones out there, it's worthwhile going out and, and just uh, have a look at the CAA website to see where and when they can use it. And you mm. can bet your bottom dollar that over the next few years, this is gonna be something that the CAA and aviation authorities around the world are gonna start regulating very tightly and if you're not careful, you can, I think, potentially get in a bit of trouble for if you're not following the rules.
0: Mm, but like you said, they are easy to come, you know, to, to, to attain these these particular things on Amazon. Like you said, Amazon, eBay, even um, at, at quite you well. Know, some of the uh, the more expensive ones obviously are a lot more technical than that, but you can buy them really cheap.
1: Um, That's it. I mean, you, you know, the one I've got wasn't terribly expensive—a few hundred pounds. You can. Um buy them cheaper than that, or you know you can even buy them second hand uh, on ebay for for not much money at all um I, they're great fun i must admit <laughs> to to fly around i take i'm luckily living in quite a rural area well away from any airspace ah, yeah like but so I, I i'd be very no- i must say i've i've thought about flying them over the, my local town or you know various projects that I might <laughs> use, and it makes me very nervous just to even attempt to do something like that. Um you know it's very small, like I say, it's only the size of a, a shoebox. So it doesn't have to go mm. very far or very high at all before you've completely lost sight of it. And then you know you're getting into all kinds of problems if you if you can't even see the thing anymore.
0: If you're ever this way, Pip at all, we've uh, we've got a possible leak in our chimney breast on our house. Um that'd be handy if you could just fly up there and uh just have uh, look for us. Well,
1: <laughs> I tell you these things have got all kinds of applications. Um I, I bought my a for a bit of fun but also i've got some some wacky ideas about using it to make some money and uh, actually the, one of the first times i used them i was just practicing around the house i took some video of of, of the house which was really good but quality video i must say um, it is it's it, you know i use really a gopro good. camera it's, it's mm. hd stuff mm. and it's really and anyway i i looked back at the video and i noticed that all the felt lining on on one of the dormers had completely gone <laughs> i thought well that's brilliant you know it's paid off already you could use it for, for roofing excellent. surveys and all kinds of things.
0: I'm gonna to have to um, <clears throat> over over our uh, meal this evening. I think I might have to um, ask the wife if I can have one for Christmas. I think. Definitely. Oh, I think you should. They're good fun. Yeah, Definitely
1: good fun. Um, and then oh, and then the other bit that I tagged on to the end of my email. Um, I just thought you'd be you know, guys are interested. You would quite like to talk about uh, um seats and things I, I was sitting on a it's just a very short flight from manchester oh back, yeah the ba you know? seats yeah so, yeah you, you talked about it a couple of episodes yeah, ago that yeah. BA were introducing these new I so are know, they seat, are they comfy seats. well so i got on this ba this ba a320 and it had these new seats and i gotta say they looked really really good they're um they're, they're thinner than the regular seats and they're very nice dark blue leather with this um lighter blue hand stitching and they're very I don't know how you describe them they look a bit like a sports seat that you'd find in a Porsche or or a Ferrari or you know some sports car like that um and yeah absolutely it was it was certainly no less comfy than the old seats uh, but it really did look the business and of course as well as the new seats they've uh redone the interiors completely they've got brand new carpets and then along just under the under the overhead bins, they've got this sort of soft blue mood lighting. Oh, yeah. Uh, and actually, it looked it looked really good. Like I said I, before, I, I'm not a, a huge fan of, of the BA product. Um, I think they sort of let themselves down in certain areas, but these new interiors really do look the bee's knees. They've done a really good job with that.
0: Did you have fish and chips?
1: No, I didn't <laughs> have fish and chips. That was the one downside. I. Uh. So I was stamping my feet about that one because I know they're going
0: to offer. They were they're supposed to be offering um, sort of wacky sort of food choices on their, on their, some of their flights. We covered that in one of our previous episodes. I think
1: that's right. You did, yeah. No, well, this was only a forty-five minute flight from uh, Manchester to London, so it was barely enough time to to get a cup of tea and a and a biscuit. But um, it was nice. I, so they, I think they've done a good job there with the, with the new interiors. I look forward to to seeing those on, on more of their aircraft. Yeah, oh, excellent. Mm. Any more bits of
0: news, Pip, Before we uh, bring the show to a close,
1: not off the top of my head. Oh no, hang on. sorry. There was there was one thing we were talking about just in the interval. There, um, you recall a few episodes ago on uh, Captain Jeff's APG, he had uh, was kind enough to to give your show a plug and he oh, also yes. gave my show a plug, and he mentioned some of the other podcasts he'd been listening to. And one of them he mentioned was a podcast called Oh God, let me get this right: talking flight or flight talking. No, Talking Flight with Mike Swanigan. Uh, So I thought I'd give it a listen. And I'm so pleased I did because it's an absolutely fantastic, entertaining podcast. And so I highly recommend to everyone listening to this that you go out, get onto iTunes and look up Talking Flight with Mike Swanigan. He's a a captain with Alaska Airlines and his podcast. There's no big production values. He doesn't have sound effects and music. It's just uh, him interviewing his friends and work colleagues from alaska and, and other uh, airlines and it's a really really good fascinating one hour podcast that wow. some of the stories that they tell are just brilliant it's, it's a really nice podcast so i highly recommend that one i didn't i doing.
0: didn't know that one existed so that's uh that's going to have to go on my um list of Podcast to listen to,
1: you'll really like it. It's a really good. He's done. I think he's up to about episode eleven or twelve. Yeah, I'm just Something looking on iTunes. To now. The sound went a bit funny, so number three is a duff one. But all the others, I've listened to two or three of them now. They're just excellent. Really good.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's on iTunes. Yeah, he's on iTunes it is, yes. as yes. as we are, and you are as well yourself. Mm-hmm. uh iTunes. Yeah, Talking Flight by Mike Swanigan. Yeah. Definitely one Stop. to uh, to look out for there and of course all the other great fantastic podcasts as well we me and pip were talking about uh, during the break um obviously the airplane geeks with max who was on the last episode and obviously uh, airline pilot guy with uh, with yeah, jeff yeah. um how he how he manages to produce such an awesome podcast um i mean some of his podcasts are nearly 3 hours long but i'll it's, tell you what i'm i am i'm you know i'm absolutely engrossed in the whole the whole you know episode so yeah, I, I'm softer. in awe of
1: Jeff. I, I don't know how he does that. It's it's quite phenomenal. I couldn't put out a podcast every week, even if I had a <laughs> team of people working for me. It's it's uh, quite amazing.
0: But, uh, but you're doing well with your podcast, Pip, the Plane Safety Podcast. Yeah, as um, I say, it's,
1: it's coming along.
0: We're obviously waiting with bated breath for your next episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, do you know what? I've got some time, it looks like, on Tuesday, uh, and I've got most of it in place. I just need to sit down and record it which is the hardest bit actually for me i i know in my head what i want to say hmm. but when it comes to sitting down and talking into microphone my mind just goes blank and the words just won't come out of my mouth it's quite frustrating but i'll uh i'll, I'll plug away at it and I, I think i should hopefully get number seven out within the next week or so excellent you're doing you're doing well pip you're doing well i i enjoy the
0: podcast anyway Oh, well, thanks very much um but uh yeah looking forward to uh to your next one so pip um your uh, have you have you got any the, uh, huge plans for flying? I mean, do you do you kind of do you know where you're going next week, or do you sort of get get a pre uh, warning of where in Europe you'll be uh, jetting off to?
1: Usually, I don't. I know which days I'm going to be working, um, and I generally don't know exactly where I'm going till a, a day or so before. But next week's an exception because I'm I'm on a training week next week down at our our main office down in um, I think I can say this down in Lisbon. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to be there Monday to Friday. Just uh, we do every, every we go to the simulators every six months for a week, and we go and practice all the, the flying bits and bobs. Then also, what we do once a year, we go down to our office mm-hmm. and do the all all the sort of extra bits of training, like first aid training and um, the smoke and uh, evacuation training and, okay. and how to use fire extinguishers and, and these kinds of bits and bobs. And it gives us a chance to to meet with our managers and things. So that's what I'm doing next week. Oh wow! So not not mm-hmm. much flying then. Zero flying next week. I've got a, a six thirty a.m. EasyJet Luton to to Lisbon on Monday morning. Okay, and then a, an EasyJet flight back on Friday sometime. So I'll I'll need to download some more podcasts to, to help me through that one.
0: Excellent. You'll have to download this one and see how you sounded. <laughs> oh, yeah, I that. Oh dear. Yeah, I've um I've got uh, another flying lesson book for tomorrow. Weather permitting. Well, how's that going? I'm it's it's going well. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. It's after because um, I initially started in 2008 and then stopped after 6 hours and obviously now I'm getting back into the swing of things, but it's it's a lot to learn. Um mm-hmm. it definitely is a lot to learn. Um obviously reading the books, um but I've had some good feedback from the instructors. Um have uh, you know, I've said I pick it up, pick things back up fairly quickly, um, and l- managed to land the uh Cessna 150 last Saturday, uh, whilst the instructor sat there with folded arms, um, looking out the window, <laughs> enjoying the view as I, was, as I was sweating, holding the uh control column and throttle, and um trying to watch my speed and my height and making sure I was coming in, you know, straight and level lined up on the runway, but I managed it. I landed. That's,
1: yeah. That's it. There's so much to remember, isn't there? When you are starting out, oh. but uh, you know, eventually with practice, it's uh, it becomes second nature and, and it sort of frees up more mental space to, to think about other things. It's not cheap, which is no, one of the, the things the downside, which I think puts
0: it? a lot of people off, uh, learning yeah. to fly is the cost, but, uh, Oh, I've been wanting to do it for a long while, so well, I'm going persp- you know, to pursue there's
1: no it. They no point going through life with regrets, is there?
0: No, no. I think uh, it'll be it'll be nice to um, eventually try and uh, pass and uh, go. So, I mean the thought of going solo now just fills me with horror oh, right. how many hours do
1: you have
0: now uh i've got in the book now i have 10 that'll be 11, right, so, 11 so tomorrow so not so
1: many hours of going solo then I oh,
0: think. don't say that Pip. don't say that oh, I'm, I'm worried on. now oh good fine <sighs> we'll see we'll see but uh <laughs> I'm gonna uh, possibly Pip was uh, sent me a, an email a, a little few uh, well, a while back now just about uh, possibly putting together some sort of uh, quick um, quick cast um, on how my lessons are going and sending to you so perhaps uh, I could put one together Pip. Um, yeah, I think you should.
1: I, I'd be interested to hear. it. I'm, I know a lot of other people would uh, would love to hear how you're getting on. It uh, yeah, it's definitely um,
0: it's good. I enjoy it. I I do really enjoy it. Um, I love anything to do with flying, basically. Really, um, but no, it is a lot to take in, a lot to learn when you've been uh, out of college now for. I mean, I'm 38 um, I am thirty eight now. I've sort of my my brain finished learning things many years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, so, trying to uh, to put everything together and learn is 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 kind of difficult. But you know, it's. Um, there's plenty of books to read. I've got a holiday coming up soon, as you know. half a week away, which uh, I shall probably do uh, some sort of revision while I'm relaxing in the um, sun.
1: Yeah, I'll, it'll all be worth it though when you go solo for that first time, and, and when Whew. you get your your license from the CAA, you'll be you'll be over the moon with it.
0: I was going to ask you actually, Pip, just before you go, um, when you pass your uh, your your test, do you, do you get a lovely little card or something that say it says you're a pilot? so you can go into the, the pub and say, look at this, I'm a pilot. You, you do.
1: It's not quite as impressive as you might think. Oh. Ideally, what you'd have is a, is a T-shirt that says, I am a pilot, but they, they don't <laughs> give those out. If, if you were to get an American license, an FAA one, they have you get a little card like um like a driving license. Mm. What you get here, you get a massive bit of A4 paper, oh, uh, which is folded into four, and you can put it in a, you get a kind of sweet little booklet you can put it in. Okay. Um, but it's, it's like, Oh goodness! It's about five pages long. It's uh, it's a bit over the top, to be honest. Oh, but yeah, it? there's nothing to stop you taking it down the pub and showing off. I would. <laughs> I do, in fact. In fact, that's where I'm going after this podcast. I'm going down the pub to see if I can impress someone else.
0: Oh, I'm sure you can, Pip. I'm sure you can. I'm gonna. I'm. am I'm gonna have to. Um, have to get like a little card made up. I think just. Um, just so it looks good. I think you know another string to the bow as they say
1: yeah absolutely well definitely keep plugging away i think it's a it's a fantastic thing you're doing
0: good thank you so we are going to bring episode 33 of the plain talking uk podcast to a close and uh, i'd like to say thank you very much pip for coming in on the show this week it's That's been my pleasure absolute uh, pleasure having you on the show and uh, just for our listeners then you're going to tell our guys and girls where they can uh, where they can find you
1: uh, well, for the next half an hour or so, you can find me on the sofa looking a bit more closely at this Ryanair calendar thing. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, I'm on uh, on Facebook. Just look up Plane Safety Podcast or, or, or on iTunes, of course, Plane Safety Podcast. I also have a website, which I, I barely look at myself, planesafetypodcast.com. And the email address, if anyone wants to contact me, is Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I don't do Twitter or anything like that. I'm afraid.
0: Okay. Well, uh, well I've I've been on your website, and uh, there is a link on our website. If you go to uh, www.plaintalkinguk.com, and uh, there is a link uh, to your website on uh, on there, Pip. Where our, oh, is where that our awesome. Yeah, yeah. Where our listeners can uh, can find you, which is good.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. The website's a, a, a sort of a project. Uh, in motion I, I need to do a bit more work on
0: that it is it's, it's so much to do Pip I'll tell you I mean you're busy flying and obviously you've got these training bits and pieces and you've got your family and it's trying to fit a podcast and everything else in with that it is difficult it is really difficult it is
1: yeah time is tight but uh, I enjoy it I must say it. So I i, I... Honestly, I've learned a, a heck of a lot in the, the few months I've been doing the podcast. Well, one of the reasons I set it up was for, A, for, to entertain people, but also for me to, to, uh, to learn more about my job. And that's, that's uh, absolutely panned out the way I thought it would. It's, it's been well worth it. I've enjoyed it a lot. Excellent.
0: Well, don't forget you can find both our podcasts, uh, both ours and Pip's. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, Plain Safety Podcast, just type it in on iTunes. You can subscribe as well to uh, pip's podcast and download there and uh plain talking uk podcast you can find us on itunes download us via there or you can download us via the website as well send us some feedback and uh well that's where we're going to bring episode 33 to a close so once again pip thanks for coming on the show and that's uh, my pleasure I we look it. forward to uh, having you on again possibly in the near future at some point cool i'll look forward to that excellent well from me it's a uh, kind of dark outside and uh, I'm now going for an Indian, goodbye
1: uh, and then from me it's a very jealous, I wish I was going for an Indian goodbye, okay then goodbye, see ya.